everyone. Welcome to the Mass Construction Show with today's guests from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst's Building and Construction Technology Department, Associate Professor Peggy Clouston and Senior Lecturer Alex Schreier. I'm your host, Joe Kelly, and this is the podcast about all things construction in Massachusetts and beyond. In this episode, we chat with Alex and Peggy, who are both tremendously accomplished in their fields, so much so that it's probably appropriate for me to include their bios in the show notes, which I'll do. But I will say, between the two of them, there is a tremendous amount of study, research, practice, and publications on various topics within timber construction. They bring an expertise in mass timber that is unparalleled in our area. Alex was kind enough to offer me a tour of the Oliver Design Building, which is a first-of-its-kind mass timber academic building that consists of an exposed glue lamp frame, CLT shafts, which are quite uh, interesting to see a stairwell out of wood, and CLT and concrete composite floors. The show is in two parts, and if you want an education on the newest trend in construction, it's your lucky day. Enjoy the show. Peggy, Alex, uh, welcome to the Mass Construction Show. Hi. Thank you. Hi. How are you? Good. Um, so as everyone heard in the intro, uh, we're out at the Oliver Design Building. I want to make sure I say it right. Mm-hmm. Um, at UMass Amherst. You guys are both faculty here. I'll let you guys kind of get into that in a little bit. Um, but this building is pretty unique. Um, I'd venture to say it's one of the first of its kind in the state, mm-hmm. uh, if that's a reasonable statement. Um how did it come to fruition? I don't believe it was probably not easy to get um, a state-built project um, to be innovative and unique and that kind of stuff. So what was the, you know, what did you feel like the process was to actually get this out of the ground? Mm-hmm. Um, well, so I'll handle <laughs> that, and Alex, you jump in anytime you feel like it. Um, we were very fortunate as faculty and future users of the building to be involved in the um, design process right from the get-go, even in selecting the architecture team. So um, one of the key things that our um, Lears Weinzapfel associates said was that we will listen to faculty. We actually encourage faculty to uh, tell us what they're interested in this building being. So with the three departments, um, landscape architecture, regional planning, architecture, and our program, building and construction technology, we all had focus on sustainability. And um, we were allowed to put together an owner's projects requirements document. Um, And in it, we were, Alex and I, both very vocal in that this building should be a state-of-the-art timber structure that really demonstrates how timber structure should be built in the future, um, how it's to be done correctly. So um, we were met with a bit of resistance uh, early on in that wood, especially mass timber, is a new technology, and there were concerns with uh, unfamiliarity of designing and building with this material. So we did a lot of uh, presenting, conversations, emailing, um, writing documents to show the real reasons for building with wood. Um, environmentally uh, was one of the big drivers. Okay. Yeah. Can, can I ask you a question? So yeah. when Lear's up front 
said we want faculty to be mm-hmm. a part of this. Mm-hmm. Was this when they were still interviewing, or this was when they were already it was, contracted? It was also part of the whole process, even before that, because the university and then the UMass Building Authority um, that was behind this project uh, said that um, we're teaching people in these fields. You know, mm-hmm. We're teaching construction students and building scientists in our field, and then architects get taught in other parts of this building here. And, and so we wanted to have all of those students involved, even in the selection process. So for example, when there was the designer selection, that was in front of an open student and faculty audience, oh, really? which is usually wow. not the case. Usually oh, that happens of... behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and, and so, so uh, as much to the credit of the university and, uh, and, and UMBA to, to have us you know, <laughs> uh, allowed to do, to do that and yeah. pull folks in and, and be, be vocal and, and work. Now, were you using that process as part of teaching students about procurement? Um, even to some degree? Or? It, it was used in many different classes. So so uh, procurement to some extent, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So for example, in our program... Or designer were, selection and like the yeah, yeah, exactly. pre-bid process, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and then in the construction process too. So uh, especially during the construction um, process, uh, we were running a course uh, called it Peeking Over Construction Fence, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. where, where our instructor at the time was, was basically bringing students on site into the trailer they were part of meetings. They could listen in um, to things that you usually don't see unless you're, you know, paid by the firm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and uh, we did that. Uh, all the other projects, <coughs> architecture did it. Landscape architecture did it. In fact, two of our students, two of our uh, stellar students, were hired mm-hmm. on for internships, which even gave us more of a leg up in being able to access the site and uh, know get what some inside going. information. Get inside yeah, yeah, yeah. information. <laughs> make, make copies of that. Oh, <laughs> fantastic! Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't I didn't mean to sidetrack you there, no, but I thought that was kind of important. Like so, it, it was early on that they were saying they wanted you to be a part of it, even Very before so. they were, were chosen. Right. So that's a, that's exciting and unusual. Yeah. So. Um, Go ahead, T- take and, and it from there. I yeah. think key to having uh, <coughs> somebody spearhead the whole aspect of having a timber structure, um, speaking to our colleagues who you know, eventually phoned and wanted a building like ours, they uh, hmm. asked us, how do we get even the whole conversation about wood started? And hmm. I think that's one thing that is necessary to convince the administrators that you need somebody, a, a, a chairperson, uh, some... <laughs> Some um, faculty member who really wants it, because otherwise it's it's very difficult to push it all the way through. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, hopefully I've explained it well in the intro, but mm-hmm. I think both of your backgrounds is to some degree relevant in all this. So Extremely you know, where do you guys come from? Where do you find this passion about okay. using this this material? Yeah. Well, back in the early 90s, I was a timber engineer in Vancouver. Uh, I worked um, in um, mostly building timber structures, some steel and some concrete, and went back to the University of British Columbia to do both my degrees in uh, wood mechanics, uh, structural engineering. So, and Alex, similar. (laughs) My my background is um, I'm a civil engineer, originally from Germany, uh, made in Germany. And um, uh, specialized in, in wood structures. There's a great tradition over there with wood structures. Then I came to Vancouver, Canada, and saw that there is a, a you know a tradition, but also an emerging 
uh, trend uh, in, in modern wood structures and then um, you know we brought that background here and I will try and I've been trying to tell people about it ever since. Yeah, yeah you've been shouting from the rooftops. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Now, well, yeah. I, I mean, in terms of in terms no, of history, it's actually really interesting in this area, you know, because we do have a great history in in wood structures. You know, if if uh, people have been in, in mill buildings, you know, mm -hmm. the interior yeah, structure, oh, yeah. those are tremendously you know sized timber beams and really interesting structural elements. We've got. We've got uh, covered bridges. We've got um, you know houses. The the oldest house in Amherst is just one building over here, and it's mm -hmm. I mean it's a slide frame of course, but it's a wood structure, and so so there's a great tradition that we're continuing. I always hasten to add that this tradition is changing, and we're using new technology, <coughs> mm -hmm. and that's key to being able to build these large scale structures. Mm -hmm. The the mill buildings are beautiful, but they came with problems. Um, solid sections of wood shrink and swell, and um, the way we did this building was with mass timber. Mm. Composites are far more reliable structurally, but they're more dimensionally stable. Um, the connection technology in this building, as I said at the outset, it's state of the art. It's mm. showcasing and inspiring, really, um, the students who study here, the next generation <coughs> of designers, how to do it right, and um, that that's the key. Yeah. So we do have this tradition, but we're showing the way forward. All right, yeah, well, yeah. so and let me back up yeah. to, this, to this a little bit. So I think one thing that's relevant for people that don't understand the history of mass timber, it has been in Europe 15, 16 years about? Oh, with CLT. Yes. But much longer with glue lamb and other types of mass timber. Yeah, and I mean, there's even been glue lambs used here in the United States for oh, quite some time, but as far since as like... Since the turn of the century. Yeah, yeah sure. but like a building design, where it's true like kind of mass timber. Um, so, and I think the only reason I'm trying to point this out is I feel like you were studying mm -hmm. this prior to it even being a common practice. To some degree, of, of in the modern sense, in this. Although there are some spectacular glue lamb buildings on the west coast of the U.S., uh, the Tacoma Dome, for example, made of glue lamb um, in the 1970s, I think it is. Okay, good. Um, I don't remember the span. Is it, it's an amazing arch structure mm. that spans maybe 300 feet. I'm not sure. Okay, interesting. But, yeah, so there is, you know, that There's technology from before, but uh, okay. it were mostly one-offs. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then the other piece was that I'm drawing a blank on. Um, well, in terms of massive structure elements, it's actually interesting also how, how Europe came about uh, using mass timber because um, they're used mostly to concrete construction and, and concrete, you know, everybody knows, <clears throat> you, you need to pay for formwork and uh, it takes a certain amount of time um, mm. to set and and so then if you can get the massiveness of a wall or a floor at the same time when, when you when you just put it down <laughs> so for for Europeans that that of course was a very um, exciting uh, new field and, and you could use you know this raw material which which was abundantly available so so it made sense for them to switch that way um, we're, we're more used to step frame construction and light frame construction and, mm. and for us it, it takes a little rethinking that now we're using large solid plates for example and more wood and more wood rather it, than less wood <laughs> and it is a bit of a, 
um, yeah. change of thinking. It, you know, it's um, always been conserving resources, and that's still one of the key things. Mm -hmm. But uh, what we know now uh, from life cycle assessment studies is using large sections and mass volume of wood can sequester more carbon which is you know one of the key issues with climate change too much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere so that aspect of that environmental benefit of building large scale with wood is you can really make a difference so the, there was a mm. life cycle assessment a, a simple one done in this building um, that equated the uh, carbon benefits of the amount of lumber simply used in the building to taking 500 cars off the road for one year. Um, and I, I'd like to say that I know 500 cars off the road is not a big deal, but at least it's going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. With steel and concrete, we're putting more cars on the road by building a building. Mm -hmm. So this is really a way to reverse climate change. Can you explain that, the concept of how that, how that generally works. This, the tree obviously uses carbon and produces oxygen, so you're saying it's capturing carbon in that way, but so there, how do, what's that general concept for people? Okay, um, so when forests grow, of course, the tree does, uh, the tree grows by um, <coughs> using sunlight, water, and carbon dioxide, and obviously um, gives off oxygen. But it holds the carbon in the wood cell um, even after the tree is cut down and the tree is turned into wood products. Um, that carbon is sequestered in the wood cell wall for the life of the building. So um, you can consider that a carbon benefit. But then there's this additional consideration which is called the substitution effect. Um, by building timber structures and replacing the potential steel with timber, you're offsetting any of the um, environmental negative effects, negative of, effects of having concrete. steel and concrete, mm -hmm. exactly. So combining those two, um, agencies like Woodworks have done a carbon benefit and totaled it to be that 500 um, cars off the road for one year. Net, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, are you guys familiar, and I probably should have asked you, I'm, I'm going to throw you on the yeah. spot, assuming you were, like, I I read something about even um, a couple things that you can use lower grade wood, and even something where they had an issue with, like, a pine beetle, yes. where okay. they were able to wood that. Now you're talking my language. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what's, well, so... Um, like, how does, how does mass timber, and by massing it together, make... So Stuff this, that would be maybe waste now more viable. So this is the yeah. basic principle of building with composites. Um, there are two benefits to taking a large section of wood apart and putting it back together uh, in smaller sections. Um, and the same thing is done with aerospatial composites. We take layers of different materials and we put them back together, but we engineer it strategically so that it'll be a, a far better material as a composite than any one individual component. So there's the engineering um, behind it, but there's also distribution of defects. So imagine a 10 by 12 inch section of wood, which is used in the old mill buildings. Mm -hmm. There's quite likely a, a, a spike knot running through it, which is a massive defect. And if it's critically located, that beam can be weaker than any other beam. Um, 
with composites, you basically cut out that spike knot because any defect like a knot can only travel through the thickness of one layer. One layer yeah. So you get extreme reliability by doing that. Um, and the design strength that engineers have to work with is much, much higher than when you consider the variability of solid Traditional, wood. Traditional, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but building with um, composites allows you to incorporate a whole lot more lower quality lumber. Grade, yeah, it's just yeah. forgiving of defects mm. it, it, by its basic uh, composite nature. Yeah, because you said something interesting when we were downstairs. You're saying, from a knot perspective, yes, you can slice it and stagger the knots, but you can just cut out the knots and finger joint things and then overlap them and you've got a stronger product. Exactly. Than... A little bit more processing involved, but if you really want to have a superior product, that's the way to go. <laughs> yeah. And, but, how, and how about the, the pine beetle thing? Because I, I found that pretty interesting. Are you familiar with it? Very much yeah. so. Um, so they did, uh, on the West Coast, uh, try to mitigate the effects of the pine beetle by basically cutting these trees and using them um, commercially in, in CLT. We're trying to do exactly the same thing here on the East Coast. Um, we have species like Eastern Hemlock, which is under attack uh, by a, a small adelgid, the woolly adelgid. And what this bug does is sucks the sap from the tree and basically leaves the tree standing dead. And after five to 10 years, that tree can fall and um, be hazardous fuel for fires and really it's a national forestry objective to find markets to use this uh, low-grade material before any kind of real problem is a uh, is upon us so the um, um, research that i'm doing is focused on eastern hemlock also eastern white pine and ultimately um, hardwoods because in the east coast we have a lot of um, hardwoods but um, primarily because um, finding a, a market for these lower grade materials can help defray the costs of uh, going in and harvesting the trees. Right now they're really low value and standing in the forests and um, many of my forestry colleagues say that the forestry industry here on the East Coast has been in a state of decline for the, over, for the past few decades. So by doing research, finding ways to use the wood, it encourages us to manage our forests better and it leads to better forest health. Okay, so this is just a really good way to almost increase both health and then get some usability out of something that is right. not only um, of kind of no use, but to some degree potentially a hazard. Exactly, uh, and, and it brings local jobs, the politicians get that, and if we mm. can um, make better use of our local resources, then we put people to work and yeah. improve local economies. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting too that you know, some people think, why do we just leave the forest uh, as it is, because um, you know, we uh, don't want to cut the trees down and, and, and leave it as nature and intended. Just leave it as yeah. nature intended kind mm -hmm. of thing and won't want it sequester carbon and, and um, uh, so on. Uh, but as it turns out, a managed forest is, is a better forest, basically. You know, if you, if you pull material out and uh, give new trees a chance to grow, then, then you keep this carbon sequestration going. And, and another, uh, actually, Peggy mentioned earlier, the, the, the life cycle study that was done for this building early on, <clears throat> Another point that that study um, 
made was that the material, the wood material in this building, grew in six minutes. You know, mm -hmm. so um, technically, by us talking all this time, I don't know how far we are, but <laughs> we grew this building over and over again. And, and this is considering all of North America's forests. And and there there are not really nice charts that show that these forests are you know as long as they're maintained, of course. But over the over the last years, they. The, there's no decline or anything because many people worry about forest decline because you hear what's happening in the yeah, Amazon and other places. Deforestation, deforestation is, is, is always here. And, and 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 this is really it's really crucial to use both. You know, use uh, waste material from the forest mm -hmm. that could be a potential hazard, but also just use the forest. You know, mm -hmm. um, and then replant. And and uh, that's of course the beauty of wood that is a renewable resource yeah. and they were using natural resources to create mm -hmm. cement and steel anyway yeah right yeah uh, but I always, and, yeah, I always yeah. make this, uh, the, the, this point to my students because i'm teaching the materials and methods class as well that uh you know there's a there's a quarry north of amherst that's never going to grow back nope. <laughs> yeah. there's a hole in the ground yeah. <laughs> unless we get a volcano yeah. popping up one yeah. way or another <laughs> yeah no and i'm glad you i'm glad that was funny that was the my next question was to kind of talk about that like a managed forest versus Mm -hmm. you know going and doing mining and just cutting everything else out mm -hmm. and walking away right. so the process is that they're staggering the trees being planted is that how it works like, to I, some degree sort of outside my area of expertise in the, the forestry <coughs> or silviculture they do different methods of uh, growing trees and staggering it is one of them but um, I, I just wanted to add to Alex's point that this um, growing more trees, again, back to climate change, cleans the air. So we have this way of making it profitable for people to actually harvest and plant more. We're helping to solve climate change at the same time. So it's just a win-win all over the place. Mm. You talked about the potential hazard with fallen trees for fires and stuff like that. It seems like anybody you talk to when you bring up a wood building, they kind of freak out a little bit and say, oh, isn't it going to catch on fire? And all? What's the reality of mass timber versus a traditional light frame? Because, I mean, look, in Massachusetts, in the last 18 months, podium construction, we had three large loss fires, mm -hmm. substantial burn to the ground. And during construction. During construction, yeah. right? Um, what's, why is mass timber different? And, and what are the hazards with it? It really comes down to mass timber. Large sections of wood uh, don't catch fire easily. And you can think of it from your own fireplace example. You start with kindling, small pieces of wood that catches. Large <coughs> pieces take a long time. And when they do start to burn, they burn slowly at a predictable rate. Um, a, a char forms around the outside uh, which protects the structural integrity of the core. So if you're talking about a structural member like a column or a beam that's a, a mass, large cross-section, um, that beam can easily withstand the two-hour building code requirement for getting people safely out of the building. Um, it's been proven time and time again. <laughs> Cross-laminated timber is exactly the same. Um, we have two-hour fire rating on our uh, shaft walls in the building. Um, the building inspector wanted to put additional passive um, fire resistance on it, so there's an additional 
two layers of 5 8 thin gypsum on the outside of the shaft wall. So the safest place to be probably on campus is in inside this building yeah, in yeah, a fire, yeah. <laughs> in the stairwell. Yeah. yeah, and for reference, I'm sitting in a room and I'm looking at a cross brace that what would look like a piece of tube steel acting as a cross brace, and I want to say it looks like it's at least 12 inches by 12 inches, oh, if right. not 18 yeah, I think by 16 18, by 16. Yeah. 16 by 16. Yeah. Um, so this is a substantial... Mm -hmm. uh, Good, good sized cross sections, and, yeah. and in the building, uh, you know, some of the columns are, are good, good size. But then again, it, if you again compare it to steel, and um, it's uh, you know the the comparison that you have to do because ultimately, you know, if you look at it from a building code perspective too, um, if you're building steel in fireproof construction, two uh, A or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, then, then uh, you need to add fireproofing to it, and so at that point, what uh, could be a small cross-section tube steel brace becomes a larger cross-section, or or you have to use expensive intermittent paint uh, yeah. to protect that. But, or but nasty chemicals. I was gonna, yeah. it's, it's funny. <laughs> I, I only this is the first time thinking about it, but as you started talking about uh, mm -hmm. fireproofing the steel, I automatically went to like. Those All right, what is in that gray, yeah. that gray um, it's not it's fiberglass spray-on fireproofing? Yeah, exactly. Can't imagine that's great for the it's environment, the right? And then you, know. you need a nice finish, so you're going to put something on put the outside of that. Around it and so you got like three different <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, subs working on one comb. Which leads to the beauty of being able to <laughs> expose the glue lamp. Um, I'll, I'll <laughs> this is Alex's joke, but I'm going to take it and say it. <laughs> We've turned people into column huggers because they come in the building <laughs> and they go right up to the structure, which is wood, and they see it. So we're teaching timber engineers of the future how to build with wood, and the structure is exposed everywhere. That was part of our requirement, too. But um, to be able to see the joints, to see the columns and the beams, they can actually visualize load flow through the structure. It, it's just, you know, uh, another aesthetic. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's hard to describe it, but having walked in the space, like... It, it stops you and just random just giant pieces of wood yeah. or you're like oh that's cool like if, it, it's hard for you especially if you're if you're in construction and you can get in here and walk into this building and walk around not stop and want to take a picture or something mm -hmm. that is rare yeah right yeah. the number of people that just walk in off the street and are in awe that it, it's amazing and it actually was uh, very popular during construction as well simple construction mm -hmm. open their doors and allowed people to do tours Alex and myself as well <laughs> carrying people through dro in droves just to see the construction yeah technology. I mean and if you stop and think about how many buildings do you walk into where you're like wow mm -hmm. oh, I'm, I'm gonna walk around and take pictures well, especially during construction usually you know uh, you got <laughs> rusty pieces of metal or something you know it's, yeah. it's, it's not uh, uh, the most desirable place to be in, but we, we both keep saying that there's a fourth floor here where you have a beautiful view over campus. Mm -hmm. um, and when that was under construction and the wall wasn't in, um, but the safety railing was of course placed, mm -hmm. um, we, we went up there and just, you know, sat in the sun for an hour <laughs> and just enjoyed the space. It was, uh, there, was, there was a wood ceiling, there was a wood floor at the time, and it was just beautiful <laughs> yeah it's funny people and this is i'm getting a little touchy-feely but you know and people have heard me say this before because i think wellness in buildings and as a result now in construction um 
is a trend that is only going to grow. And there's something to being in a space that feels better with this is these not, natural products. It's, it's, it's not just being comfortable in the space, which I think a lot of architects strive for with heating, ventilating, uh, ventilating and so on. It actually improves your, your mood somehow. People walk yeah. in with a smile. Same thing with the construction workers on the site. Um, there are studies on the West Coast from Forest Products Innovations uh, and maybe a couple of their researchers at universities who are looking at the uh, um, physiological benefits of work, being surrounded by wood. Um, yeah, or natural stress, stress levels yeah. actually reducing, putting numbers, metrics to actually, you know, being surrounded by wood. Yeah, yeah. I, like this fascinates me. So there's a couple things out there. There's a, an, there's a term, it's a Japanese term, and the translation is in, they refer to as forest bathing. Uh-huh. Yeah, where they say like if you go out in nature it's good for yourself biophilia yeah biophilia you it, get it's used, not the term but it, it's that whole um, concept yeah, right yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been a, something that they've understood as a culture for a long time mm-hmm. that that's good for you to go out in nature um, but like you said now they're studying it and they're seeing your blood pressure goes down and your stress levels and all these mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. improve but there was one very interesting study where um they took people and put them on a traffic island. So cars driving by on both sides of them, right? Uh-huh. And took all their measurements, right? And you know, heart rate and blood pressure, all that kind of stuff. Then they just left them on that island, but put like trees, like planted things around them, right? And took the measurements. And their numbers went down. They still had cars, you know, <laughs> three feet on either side, going traffic going by them. But just a matter of the trees mm-hmm. being there and the vegetation being there, yeah. it brought down their, you know, their blood pressure and all these other metrics. I don't know them off the top of my head. I'm just going off what I, I read a while ago. But it's, I was going to say it's not tangible, but it is tangible if sure, you look at some of the yeah. studies. But yeah, it, it really has a positive effect. I love those psychological studies where they compare <laughs> one to the other, but I, I think there's truth in it. For yeah, sure. they're, they're... Well, and, and, and people are using that too. So in Austria, for example, we saw that they had a, um, a kindergarten building program of, mm-hmm. in wood structures, you know, mm-hmm. where, where you have big glass facades of course to to connect to the outside but the rest is all is all exposed wood and and, and it's just it's a great place to be in uh, UK has a school building program um, in, in mass timber so mm. so especially for those kind of audiences that's yeah I think it makes probably a, a, makes lot, a lot of sense, sense in a school environment there, or a hospital in Scotland there are the um, uh, these cancer centers the Maggie centers I think they're called uh, mm. where uh, a bunch of those have been built in wood again because it's, it's just such a calming environment yeah it's worth for somebody to just even google mm-hmm. mass timber and go google images um, it happens not to be the case here but when you look at some of them that have <coughs> the wood floor wood ceiling Surrounded. and wood columns um, it's it's impressive and it's a wonderful environment mm-hmm. you know obviously there's some challenges right with sound and, and things yeah. potentially when you have that much hard surfaces mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, I can it's, I can think a lot, especially if you have students with, um, you know, certain challenges, mm-hmm. whatever that might be. Let's say, like, you know, my wife was a teacher for a long time with kids with, you know, social and emotional mm-hmm. issues. You know, what's better for them? You know, all these, you know, the 
fabric panels and acoustical ceiling and whatever, or to be so in a environment with mm-hmm. wood and natural yeah. and uh, <clears throat> introduce some stone and plants, things like that. I, uh, you know, I'm yep. getting a little hippy dippy. <laughs> Amherst is rubbing off on me. <laughs> I'm the furthest thing from a tree hugger, so uh, I, I, I gotta get back to Boston. Wait, this is gonna, yeah, turn you gonna ruin me. Birkenstocks and by the time I leave, yeah. But there is the science. Uh, we understand that wood is able to moderate humidity, mm-hmm. so is there is you know a, a real truth in that. Um, if the humidity in the room is extremely high, like in the summertime, being in a room full with wood, the wood actually absorbs moisture out of the atmosphere. It's a chemical reaction. There's a sorption site inside the wood that draws the moisture out and increases the moisture content in the wood. And the reverse happens in the summer. So um, when the uh, in the summer in the winter. Yeah. So when the air is dry, the wood is continuously releasing some moisture. So it moderates the humidity in the room and that can lead to people feeling more comfortable. Yeah. I, I would, I mean, everybody sees that in their everyday life, right? right? When cracks appear in the wintertime on the baseboard because, you know, the wood is In, in the hardwood flooring, you see that movement all the time where you get frustrated because your old cabinet in the garage doesn't open anymore in the summer because it's swollen. Yeah, because it's <laughs> absorbing That's what wood does. Yeah. It, there's, yeah. No, that's a good point. I hadn't, it's like I hadn't, thermal mass for water. <laughs> it's, it's, it's nature's uh, climate control, right? right? To some degree. Just on the topic of water, it's quite interesting, too, that you know, if you go uh, some places, and I know some examples in, in, in Europe, but, but still, where, where folks used wood, especially in high-moisture environment and chemically aggressive environments, so uh, swimming pools uh, come to mind, and, and some... Or salt sheds. Yeah, chemi- chemical storage, chemical because treatment. Because wood is inert, yeah. Yeah, wood, wood is far less susceptible to uh, corrosion, d- d- decay, basically, uh, than as long as it's uh, kept dry. You know, you, hmm. you wouldn't want to put it in direct contact, but um, uh, with water. But but other than that, it's it's uh, resists acids fairly well. It's counterintuitive because everyone knows that wood rots because it's organic, but that's only in the right circumstances. Uh, triggered biodegradable, ultimately, is mm-hmm. what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, the moisture or, or water presence has to in the wood has to be more than 19%. It has to be a warm atmosphere. I don't remember the temperature. Um, the presence of the food source it has to be there, meaning that if you take that away by putting a preservative treatment, you know, it, it won't rot. Mm-hmm. But um, in a controlled environment, like inside our buildings, uh, wood will stay for centuries. Mm-hmm. And it's proven over and over again with the old um, uh, Japanese, what are they called? Temples. Yeah. Temples. Yeah. Pagodas. <laughs> Those pagodas, exactly. Yeah. Um, there are still standing Japanese pagodas made out of wood from um, the 800s. Wow. So yeah. that's a testament to wood's durability yeah. right there. Wood piles, right? Unless you mess around with the water table. Yeah. It sits in dirt uh-huh. for in soil for hundreds. And oxygen. Yeah. You're right. Mm. Oxygen needs to be a present because mm-hmm. if you submerge logs uh, in fresh mm-hmm. water, it will pre- be preserved forever. Right. Because yeah. the um, bacteria or, or the mm-hmm. fungus doesn't grow there. Okay. We're going to take a break here. Um, This interview with Peggy and Alex um, was well over an hour, I think close to probably an hour and 20 minutes, uh, which might be 
kind of long, especially between intros, outros for one podcast. So I'm going to break it up into two. Um, one thing I do want to mention, I found this kind of interesting. Um, now that UMass Amherst is running what used to be Mount Ida College, they now are offering um, construction courses at their Newton campus. So for folks in the greater Boston area, it might be a good opportunity to take a look at what they have to offer um, for local classes. Um, conveniently, it's right down the street from me as well. So um, that's exciting. Um, also wanted to just throw in here my appreciation for everybody that has been listening. Um, everyone that's been rating it on iTunes, putting in comments. Uh, I know it's early, there's only 25, but they're all five stars, so I'm liking that. Um, and three people that have bothered to write some comments, I, I truly appreciate that. Um, I, I might not sound like it, but I put a lot of time into this, um, and it's worth it when people enjoy it. So thanks for listening. I'm back. Forgot to mention, those classes start January 22nd, I believe. So if you're interested, you'll want to check that out sooner rather than later. Thanks. Oh,